Welcome to Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. I'm Michael T.Y. Peekle. This is episode 57, and I actually don't know the games that we're playing today. I don't know if this is a good episode or not. I picked uh, them. There right. is, it's going to be good. Johnny picked them. Uh, we haven't done this in a while, uh, so the way it works is he's sent me the files, but he's gotten rid of all information about it. So uh, I just see like game one, song one, game one, song two. So I don't know what games he's selected. Um, I have no idea. And, um, and so I'm going to be playing along and trying to figure out the games along with you, mm-hmm. the listener. So, uh, and I'm going to be, be playing along trying to remember uh, which games I picked. Oh, God, please. <laughs> no, no, no. I've got, the, I've got <laughs> okay. the notes. Don't worry. All right. So, um, <laughs> so it's fun to do this. Um, you get to see me struggle. So uh, let's get started. apparently our listener request for this evening um what <laughs> that's all request. i'm gonna say <laughs> it's really easy i know I, I i like an easy one for to for the start oh I, I do too yeah they'll, they'll get harder Thank you. 
I approve of that song selection. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so here's your hint question. What do you build with the mechanical parts found throughout the game? Professor Layton in the Curious Village, That's which uh, I would have selected if Johnny had not selected the games. Anyway. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, actually. It was uh, meant to be. It was meant to be. Um, this was a listener request from a couple days ago. Uh, someone who did not provide their um, their name, but um, clearly it was inspired by the release, recent release of, um, of the sequel, right? Yeah, yeah. Is it actually out? I'm not sure. Oh, I'm sure it will be by the time the show gets out. But, I saw a review up on our site, so I, I figured it was out. Maybe sometimes we get games early, believe it or not. Yeah, every it's, now it's and rare. then. But, so yeah, maybe it may be coming out um, uh, a 
coming up Monday. You'll it'll be out like Johnny said by the time. Yeah, yeah. it's up. I, um, I do. I do plan to get it at some point. I mean, I love the first one. I never it, played the first one, so I cannot answer this question. My my <laughs> stupid off the wall guess is a time machine. So um, time, time machine. machine? No, no, no. It's a <laughs> it's a robotic dog. Um, yeah, we gotta figure that. And uh, <laughs> not something you would probably guess out of the blue. <laughs> But uh, he helps you sniff for clues uh, in the in the in the town, Saint Mysterio. Spoilers. Or actually, I guess if if you're going with the uh, the French style of the game and of the music, obviously, uh, it's probably pronounced Saint Mysterio. But yeah, I love the music for Professor Layton. In yeah, fact, it's, it's one it's of my favorite good. things about the game. Um, and I, I, I like that. I mean, I guess you've been listening to it because you were because yeah. you got the listener request. Yeah. But I mean. It seems like a, you could almost guess it, even if you haven't really played the game, because people talk about it a lot. You know, I mean, this is a game uh, with with music that really stands out. It, it makes you notice it. It makes you mm-hmm. want to tell other people about it. And it's not that it's really garish or calls attention to itself. It's just it's just unusual. I mean, it's it's just a sound and a style of music that you don't really hear in games. And I always like hearing new things in games. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. not like this game created this style of music. But it used it. <laughs> right. Not many other games can say that. And I, I just really like playing games that sound different. You know, different it, from all the other games. It sounds very distinct. It has a lot of character to it, and, and yeah. it fits in very well with the art style. Oh, in yeah. the general the story and everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't played the game. I, the closest thing I've done is play the E3 demo of the sequel, mm-hmm. which uh, is coming out. But I mean, I'm certainly familiar with the game, its concepts. It's a game that I've always been on the cusp of buying but the thing is I don't like puzzle games and and it's always the big just like in Neil's review for the sequel the big con is oh you don't like puzzles too bad you know that, that very much fits in with um, <laughs> why I haven't yet picked up the game or, or, or the sequel um, I think that um, I, I'm not sure if I would say this about the first one but based on what Neil's review said about the sequel um, it's saying that it's kind of more story driven um, uh-huh and less kind of wandering around. Good. I think that if you are attracted to the story and the art style and the music, it might be worth it for you to just basically give it a shot. Yeah, because, yeah, especially the sequel. It sounds like it's a little more streamlined. Um, yeah. Because the puzzles, you know, that was... I was a little... Uh, I was a little hesitant on that, too, when I, when I picked up the first one. And... Um, I think the puzzles can occasionally be obnoxious, but you'll never find one that is so difficult that you'll never figure it out. Um, in fact, I would say that the thing that annoys me about them sometimes is really just a personal issue in that I like to try to get it on the first try, and then when I don't, it pisses me off. <laughs> but it's not like the puzzles are so hard that you'll, ne- that you'll get stuck. I mean, it's a Nintendo game. You don't get stuck, you know? It will help you through them. You may not get a very good score on a particular puzzle, but you'll power on through it. it it's a level five game, which is actually the the person who wrote in with a question. Uh, that was his question: like, what, what did they, what did the developer of this game, recently finish making? And that was uh, Dragon Quest Nine, which um, which has gotten a lot of coverage recently. But um, do we know when it's coming out in America yet? Is it sometime next year? <laughs> it's not. It's not in two thousand nine. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be early t- awesome. 2010, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Although I'm not exactly uh, keen on Dragon Quest Nine after hearing a lot about it via podcasts and stuff. It doesn't sound like it's my... 
my version of Dragon Quest that I like. I'm keen. I'm keen yeah. on trying it, at least. I, I, I don't like the character creation stuff. Exactly. That much, that's that's uh, what really... You know, mm. Other than that, it's still Dragon Quest. It's still... It's still a big adventure where you do a lot of fighting and looking for treasure, and that's that's way more important to me than some kind of character development, you know. Okay, fair enough. So, um, yeah, uh, Professor Layton, it's good selection. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. We've we've talked enough about it, Professor. Probably so, yes, but. Uh... <laughs> I don't even know yeah. if I'm doing a good Luke impersonation. I'm doing an impersonation of your you know, impersonation of Luke. Exactly. The worse <laughs> it is, the better. The, you you really couldn't make it sound less authentic than the game, than the actual voice <laughs> in the game. So I say, just go big, you know? Right! <laughs> well, he doesn't sound like that, but he does Blimey. sound... me! Actually, he sounds more like a little girl than a little boy, and, and uh, that's, you know... Uh, unfortunately, uh, cartoons, anime, uh, things like children's shows in general have a very bad habit of voicing young male characters with adult women, yep. which, which is you can cheaper. hear every time. I mean, yeah. in, in fact, I mean, Bart Simpson is probably one of the better examples where it doesn't sound blatantly like a woman doing a... Right. Um, a, a child's voice, but um, I don't know. It, 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 to me, it always sounds so fake. It's like, I mean, is it really that hard to pay a kid the relatively yes. correct yes, it, age? Yes, it is because due to working hours and having to do school and stuff, it's as I understand it, it's it's a big deal. I guess so. I don't know. I luckily, I mean, with like Miyazaki movies, when when Disney and John Lasseter oversee the right. uh, the English dubbing of that, they do actually go with authentic child actors um, and the correct gender. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's uh, and you know everybody praises the voice work in those movies, so it makes a difference. Yeah, Luke is horrendous in affront to all voice acting, and uh, shit, you should pick up the game just so you can hear it. <laughs> I'll, I'll do the sequel. Uh, it is hilarious. It is it is absolutely hilarious. The sad thing is all the other voice acting is good. I mean, at least it is in the first one. I haven't played the sequel yet. But mm-hmm. Professor Layton's voice is excellent, and uh, you know the supporting characters are all good. So it's just Luke. Yeah. Just Luke. All right. Let's go on to the second game. Yeah.
So, I know what you're thinking. I'll just kill the suspense right now. Yes, this is the sequel that we were just talking about, Professor Layton and the <laughs> Diabolical Box. Uh, Complete with butt rock, man. I, I just couldn't resist uh, doing the, the two-for-one special. <laughs> no. No, I, I have some I'm other kidding. things in mind, but uh, certainly not yeah. Diabolical Box. Um, yeah, no. It is diabolical, but, it, but it's not the Diabolical Box. probably confused right now because it seems like we've used every Kirby game. I mean, what could this possibly be? Uh, Kirby's got a new image, guys. Um, <laughs> man. Right back at you, really... motherfucker. <laughs> wow. Yes, Johnny went there. This, um, this podcast is explicit like RFN, isn't it? Um, certain episodes are. You can beat me if you need to. No, no, no. Uh, uh, I can do the explicit tag. Wow. Um, well, I think I'm going to need that hint question, although I do have one idea. Uh, okay. Um, so what unusual display mode did this game feature as an option? Ooh, that's throwing me off. 
Okay, well, what's your best guess? Well, you know, I was trying to think of games that have butt rock like this. Um, and at first I was thinking uh, Prince, of Persia, Prince of Persia, Warrior Within, but I don't think that's it. Um, based on your question, I'm going to go with Vigilante 8 for the N64. Interesting choice. Uh, <clears throat> no, wrong though. It, okay. This is actually Quake 2. Oh my god, yeah, okay. That would have butt rock <laughs> in it. Yep. Didn't, didn't cross my yeah. mind. Yeah, this is Quake 2, which was released on N64, of course. Okay, so I think and, it used the expansion pack, right? That was another yep. game that used the expansion pack, like Vigilante 8. That's why it I was did. thinking of that. But for kind of an unusual purpose. I think it has high resolution of 640 by 480. Is that no? That was that was the the typical usage of the expansion pack. I mean, not every game used it for that for the higher resolution, but most games that did. Um, and Quake 2 was unusual in that it enabled a 24-bit color mode. Ooh. Um, which was it, it's actually kind of makes sense if you know the history of Quake 2 because in, graphically speaking when it came out on PC it was really um, pushing forward on the front of colored lighting and dynamic mm. lighting sources so um, it made sense to run this in a higher color mode where you could kind of see some of those subtleties going on but um, as far as I can t as far as I know it's the only N64 game that that use the expansion pack for that purpose. It might actually be the only N64 game that ran in that color mode, but I don't... That is... would be harder to, to check on. I mean, that seems surprising that a RAM expansion pack could allow you to um, to run at a higher, resol higher uh, color bit mode. Yeah, um, well, it just took more memory to do that, so... Yeah, okay. But uh, the, the standard um, on N64 was 16-bit color. Really? And, uh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. I guess that makes sense. So, so uh, what, what makes uh, Quake 2 such an excellent choice, besides the awesome butt rock music, Johnny? Well, I, it's funny. I always thought that, um, that the music in this game was done by Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, but as I looked into it, it turns out that Reznor only did work on uh, the first Quake, and he, he might have done some music for, for Doom 3, or no, Final Doom, I mean. But um, uh, it, it turns out that most of the soundtrack for Quake 2 is done by a, a guy operating under the name of Sonic Mayhem. Okay. And he, I looked him up on Wikipedia, and his discography is all video games. So I think he's just kind of a guy who just does music for games. But there are games across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all kinds of stuff. So anyway, yeah, it's, um, it's funny because... It, you think about this kind of music being in video games, you probably think of stuff like, I don't know, Gears of War 2, and, you know, some of the more modern stuff that's really uh, aggro and, you know, Unreal Engine 3 type games. Mm -hmm. But um, Quake 2 was really on the forefront of using this kind of music in video games. You, had, you really had not heard true heavy metal in a game before that time. It was just very unusual. I mean, maybe in the first Quake. But other than that, you know, it, it was still actually very new. Um, and yeah, uh, rock and roll it, racing just couldn't pull that off. Um, well, no, I mean it tried, obviously. But you know, in, in MIDI on on Super Nintendo yeah. sampling, um, it, it didn't really come across. I mean, once you get to this point, some N64 games were using even using MP3 compression. So mm -hmm. I mean, they could really put almost anything in there, and. Um, this was a very early example of using heavy metal in video games, which is almost a cliche at this point. Angst. Angst. Anger. 
Yeah, that was actually kind of hard for me to sit through because I'm I'm not a very big heavy metal. Yeah, fan, I'm not but, either. Uh, um, I'm sure some people liked it a lot. That listen hopefully. to this podcast. Well, hopefully, yeah, you'd be surprised. Mm, okay. Well, um, I've heard worse. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> um. Okay, is that all we're talking about? Quick two, like. I, I don't have fun. a whole lot more to say about it, I guess. I mean, I did play it. I rented it once for N64. I already had played it quite a bit on PC. and um, it, It's a very good version of it for 64. I think most of the levels are redesigned for whatever reason. Maybe to accommodate the controls and maybe, you know, maybe just because mm-hmm. they felt like giving players something new. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it, it is a good version. It plays well. I think it has two or four player deathmatch. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, another, there you go. Another pretty good first person shooter for N64, of which there were many. Yeah. Yep. Game three. <laughs> familiar as hell but I can't place it yet. It's such an awesome song. Wow. Okay. I'm going to go on to the second song here. Yep.
Now that song probably didn't help you very much because that is a song that you could very well play through this game the entire really nope, beat the game and not ever hear it. Nope, it helped me. It did help yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. Well, here's a hint question for everybody else. What famous unreleased prototype served as a technology test bed for this game? Well, help me more.
I know that was long, but I hope it was worth it for everybody. Oh, no, it was good. I like the progression. This yeah. is good radio trivia because song one, it was, I knew I had heard that song before. I, <laughs> I knew I knew I'd played that game before. Song two, I could tell was a Pikmin game. Um, really? Between the, nice. between the instrumentation and melodic theme. Uh, but I've only played Pikmin 1, and so from those two I knew this was Pikmin 1, and the third song kind of gave it away. This is the first Pikmin game uh, for GameCube and now also uh, Wii. Uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's true. Um, and the, the second song that I was kind of uh, alluding to being um, something that not every player would hear is is uh, is the song that, that plays in the kind of the bad ending if you take oh. more than 30 days to finish. So I heard that the first time I played through Pikmin, but um, <laughs> some people might be a lot better than I am and beat it the first time through. But wow. Um, I, Pikmin I found to be so charming and addictive that when it first came out in uh, you know like December of 2001, um, I had a friend over uh, around Christmas break, a friend I had known er, you know in my in our younger days and I hadn't seen him in a while so he uh-huh. came to visit for a few days and he brought Pikmin with him I didn't buy it myself but he was at the time really engrossed in Final Fantasy 10 which I didn't care much about for some reason I ended up playing that year many years later <laughs> um, but he was really into into that and so when he wasn't playing games I would play Pikmin instead which he had barely touched right. and I got really sucked into it right off the bat and I just remember playing through the 30 days I didn't finish and I got the bad ending and I just immediately started up a new game and played like halfway through that one all in one sitting so <laughs> wow this was this was like this was one of the few times where I've skipped meals to keep playing a game. I mean, it really, really, really sucked me in. 
and um, unfortunately the second one didn't, and it, it was kind of designed to not suck you in in the same way, but um, I, I, I really found the first Pikmin to be kind of a, a special experience because of that. Well, uh, I really liked the first game too, um, this game that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say I was sucked into the same degree, and, and my playstyle was quite different from yours, I think. Um, I um, I played without really realizing how important it was to, to be efficient. Um, but before the 30 days came out, I'm like, you know what? I realized that I have to do so many times. So I started a new game after maybe 15 days, 16 days. And then I played it kind of like I, I unfortunately, how I play Final Fire Emblem games, where I, I don't like to screw up anything. So I'll play like the same day over and over again until I get it right. Yeah. Um, which I guess works, but unfortunately, playing that way, you can get sick of the game. Um, but um, that didn't really happen. But I, I definitely was not interested in playing the sequel right away when it came out. And to be honest, I still haven't played it. Um, it's still, I think, shrink wrapped. Still on my shelf, years and years after. Well, you know, Pikmin Two is a great game, um, but. I feel that it loses a lot of the motivation of the first one. Um, right. A, a it, lot of people were praising that it got rid of the, the time constraint, but to me that was an integral part of Pikmin. I mean, that yeah, forced think, you to uh, really plan things out, figure out, okay, well, how many things am I going for? What order makes sense? Can I multitask or is that going to spread myself out too thin? I mean, it was really important. Once you, it's like, I mean, it, it forced you and it forced the, the level design to uh, be kind of in a nice, neat package. Um, yeah, right. And that's really <laughs> that's really the heart of the issue is that I feel like in Pikmin 2, because of the more leisurely pace and there's really no demand on you to be efficient at all, I feel like the level designs kind of follow that and they're a little more sprawled out and they don't make as much sense. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the game is played in these underground caves. Um, that are randomly generated. They're randomly generated, yeah. and you know they're not bad. They're not like a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon kind of random, but um, they are—they're just not that interesting, you know. I mean, my favorite thing about the Pikmin games is solving the puzzles. Mm-hmm. Is uh, exactly is kind of figuring out how do I get from here to here? How do I get that piece brought back to my base? What order do I need to do these things in? And in, in the first Pikmin, you not only have that, but you're doing it all kind of under all this pressure of the time of day and the number of days that you have. You really don't want to waste a day. So um, I feel like, I think people would have been okay with the time limit if maybe it was just a little more forgiving. Well, maybe if you had 40 or 45 days instead of 30, I think it probably would have caught a lot less people off guard. Um, while still retaining the, the essential feeling of there being some kind of countdown. Now, you know? in, in the um, during the days, is there still a daytime constraint in Pikmin Two, or is even that kind of? Yeah, eventually you do you do go down. You the sun goes down, and you have to get back to the base. Okay. But when you're in the caves, the the time of day doesn't change. So. Oh. So that, you can end up be... having some extremely long days because you spend most of it in a cave. Okay. Well. You know, when I think about this game and how it's designed and the changes they made, it feels very much unlike Nintendo EAD. And, and maybe they were trying new things and it just didn't work out because it seems very unlike them to do a randomly generated levels. I mean, yeah. they very much care about crafting nice areas. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, they, they wanted to make the game longer. Um, and unfortunately, I think in doing that, they kind of... 
sacrifice what made me like the game so much in the first place, which was the really well-crafted level design. Yeah. So that kind of stuff just does I'd rather have a short game that's that's really tightly designed, uh, which is the, the first Pikmin. Yeah. So that's why it's my favorite. But, it, I mean, Pikmin 2 is still really good. has some very interesting multiplayer modes that I'd like them to expand upon, especially full-game co-op. Yeah. Um, uh, so That's like the only time they've really done that that I can think of. Very un- unusual for Nintendo to do a co-op at that level. Yeah. Well, we'll see what they do with Pikmin 3. It's, it's eventually going to come out, I guess. <laughs> That's what they tell us. All right. Maybe we can ask next year. Yeah. I'm sure it will have more great music, though. I think we can be pretty safe in yeah. that assumption. All right. Well, Pikmin... Um... A game that I love, and in fact, I've recorded pretty much the entire soundtrack uh, several years ago off of the game. It isn't the best fidelity version out there. But, yeah, I um, was surprised to see that you had not used it on the podcast before. Yeah. I, so I said, I got to use that. Yeah. I got to go with Pikmin. Well, thank you. Interesting. That was real Japanesey, wasn't it? Thank you, Rufus. Riddle Purdy.
How about that question? <laughs> I, I think I have an idea, but it, it's based purely on style of the music. So, uh... Okay, we'll see how helpful this is. Which boutique publisher went out of business trying to localize a later game in this series? <laughs> Actually, I think that does help me. <laughs> I think you figured it out. Yeah, so uh, I have never played this particular game. However, uh, the style of the music being very Japanese and the fact that this third song was, was uh, a version of it was in the unlocalized Nintendo DS game I imported way back when. Mm-hmm. This is Legend of the Mystical Ninja, I assume, for the Super Nintendo. That's right. All the right. first one. The only yeah. one that that came out in right. America. But there, I think there were four total in Japan for just for Super Nintendo. Yeah, this is one of those series that really didn't belong coming over here in the first place. <laughs> Probably not, but God bless them for trying. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Especially so. on N64. We, we actually did get both of the N64 games. Yes, um, yes. And it has really good music, both of them do. Yeah, both um, of them do. And they're quite and then, different games, if I remember correctly. One's more Zelda 64 before Zelda 64 came out. That's right. And the other one is more of a traditional 2D platformer, if I recall correctly. That's right. So the first one on N64 is just called Legend of the Mystical Ninja, same title as this Super Nintendo game. 
right. and that's the one that's very Zelda-like, um, uh, although very very sloppy and yeah. unrefined compared to Zelda 64, which even that seems kind of sloppy by today's standards. But and then the second one they called Goemon's Great Adventure, um, or Go- how would you say it? I'd say Goemon. Goemon. Okay. Uh, Evan Goemon. tried to teach Goemon. me. I guess it's Goemon. To... If you Goemon. want to be correct, go, Goemon. Because it's Mo, okay. not Mon. Mo. Yeah. Goemon. Goemon. But uh, I say Goemon because it sounds better to me when I'm speaking <laughs> English. Goemon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, that that one was the 2D side-scrolling platform. It's really more like the action parts of the Super Famicom game. Okay, um, so the Super Famicom version uh, also has this like kind of uh, overworld, overhead perspective, yeah. or maybe... Uh, so the DS game I played, I think, is very similar to the Super Nintendo game that, uh, that you're talking about. It had like a kind of a, I guess it was sort of isometric uh, overhead action for, for a lot of the game, but then you go into these sequences where it's really 2D side-scrolling, which exactly. honestly is the better part of the game. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think I already played this game more or less on my Nintendo DS. <laughs> uh, Probably a better version. I mean, I think a lot of people hold Mystical Ninja in their hearts because back then it was it was unusual for such a Japanese-style game to come to America at all. Yeah. Um, but um, I I downloaded it for Virtual Console and did a recommendation for it for the mm-hmm. website, and uh, I remembered thinking that it was just okay back when I played it in the early 90s and that's exactly how I feel about it today. <laughs> it, it is just okay. It's not amazing by any means. It's interesting, but it's not brilliant. Yeah, um, that, that's my impression of the uh, But it might be DS worth game. playing. You know, it might be worth playing. I'll, I'll go with that. But it's not great. You know. Yeah. I think my favorite one in the series is the first N64 one, which is, again, pretty janky, really, but it's so hilarious, and it's so imaginative. I mean, it, it was very ambitious for its time. Yeah, the um, DS game, which never came out in America for kind of obvious reasons, um, <laughs> it's beautifully done. It's, it's almost completely like hand-painted backgrounds. It's a very beautiful game, and um, I can tell there's a lot of humor there that I just couldn't get. Because it was all in another language, but um, very, very, very Japanese, <laughs> very Japanese. Yeah, they all of the, the series. Yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, there was one point in the DS game where um, basically uh, it was really cool for me because you had to do characters, you had to draw characters on the touch screen. Um, and you had to know the stroke order, too, because it cared about the stroke order. You'd probably be better at this now. <laughs> I'd probably be a lot better at this section now, because yeah. I, I don't think there were complex characters. They were probably actually just, like, hiragana. But um, yeah. at the time, I didn't know Jack. And um, <laughs> I'm amazed at myself for actually forcing myself to get through because it was, like, almost at the end of the game. So it's like, at this point, I want to get to the end of the game. You know, now that you understand more Japanese and no. you can handle the writing part of it, you should go back and try it again. No, I, I would not be able to read any of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Sorry. Um, well, to, to, to wrap up with the hit question, um, 
Right. Uh, it, w- it was about which publisher, uh, boutique publisher, that was a pretty big giveaway, I think, but which publisher went out of business trying to localize a, a game in the Mystical Ninja series. It's working designs. Um, they were famous for bringing over a lot of sh- uh, 2D shoot-em-ups and RPGs, mainly for Saturn and PlayStation. But um, in the uh, early 2000s, they were trying to localize the PS2 game in the Mystical Ninja series, which was really bad. Um, I, I think it was kind of a poor decision on their part to, to do it in the first place, but um, they took a really long time doing it, and uh, they never, they had some, I think they had some uh, certification problems with Sony, like, Sony kind of looked at it and said it's so bad and so Japanese, we're not really sure if we want you to release this, you know? It was <laughs> wow. so. Yeah, I don't know the whole story. I'm sure it's very convoluted and disputed, but um, that was the game they were working on when they went out of business, and it never came out in America. So well, I, I remember seeing it at E3 one year and thinking, Ew. I mean, it, it was really ugly, and they had made, I think, the very poor choice of trying to make the characters look less super deformed, more lifelike. And that did not play well into the humor of the series, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I didn't think it was very appealing at all when I when I saw it, and uh, it was a, it was a mess. Um, and working well, designs is no more. Wasn't there um, another? Or was I thinking of this PS2 game? I thought I seem to recall there being another Goemon game that um, that was just sort of lost in in turmoil and, and really was janky even in Japanese. Maybe it's this game. Yeah, I think it's this I, one. I, I think that maybe I'm just getting old and, and I haven't realized how many years <laughs> it's been since I heard that news story. Yeah. Um, it's been seven or eight years yeah. probably since the game came out in Japan. Um, yeah. And it, it was really bad, even in even the Japanese version. You know, I, knowing working designs and the way they operated, they tended to actually go in and reprogram a lot of stuff in the games. Sometimes controversially so. But my guess is that they saw some potential in this title and they wanted to kind of fix some of the mechanical problems as well as, you know, translate it. And um, they probably just got mired in all the complexities of doing that. Yeah. So it's too bad. I mean, they were a really interesting company and they're. Um, the, the main guy behind it, I can't recall his name off the top of my head, but he is trying to come back in a new publishing venture. Um, so, who knows? But they, they were very, at their, in their time, they were similar to kind of what Xseed and Atlas do now. Right. Yeah. Um, but back then, they were one of the very few companies doing that kind of stuff. So, they're, they're very, um, very much beloved by their fans, you know. So. Okay. Well, um, Goemon's Great Adventure? No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Mystical Ninja starring Goemon. Goemon. Um, sorry. Oh, yeah, that's the N64 one. I forgot they kind of changed the, uh, the order of the words. Oh, so, sorry, this is Legend of the Mystical Ninja. This is, this is, the American ver- name is Legend of the Mystical Ninja. The Japanese name is Gunbare Goemon. Right. Um, that's, that's what most of them are, yeah. And there are, in Japan, there are many, many, many games in this series, as so, we've kind of... But, but hasn't there it, even hasn't more sure that we died off in Japan? Like was was like I the think DS the game DS game pretty much the last one. Yeah, it might be, but I have a feeling they'll bring it back eventually. It's yeah. an institution, you know. Yeah. Letting it die off so they can bring it back. It's kind of like Doraemon. Like every system has to have a Doraemon game. Well, they, I mean that guy's still going strong on, on TV. I mean he was hosting the New Year's special that I saw in Japan. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's kind of like Pokemon, still on the McDonald's cup. They'll, they'll be around forever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an institution, that's for sure. <laughs> creepy <laughs> so it's not totally obvious yet no good okay good i worked really hard not to make it so <laughs> i guess that's a hint I... all right we'll see this is yet i don't think i've played it but um that's likely um give me the question please what iconic vehicle from this game was also hidden deep within the previous game in the franchise <laughs> uh okay i have uh, a habit of writing really complicated questions i apologize can you read that one more time for me yeah this, it's a good idea what iconic vehicle from this game was also hidden deep within the previous game in the franchise? Okay.
Okay. Okay. Okay. So I think I've deciphered this one. I, I was originally going to guess uh, uh, Shadows of the Empire for the N64, but that's wrong. Um, based on your question, I know that I think it was Battle for Naboo that had... had um, so I'm going to guess Rogue Squadron. <laughs> you got it a little turned around there. Uh, so... Uh, this game is was Battle for Naboo, which is the th the last um, okay. Star Wars game uh, released on. I think it a little turned around. That's because I don't know my Star Wars or my N sixty four Star Wars games very well. So obviously the the main vehicle in Battle for Naboo is the N one Starfighter that was on the cover. It's all throughout the Phantom Menace, you know. And um, and uh, so what happened was after the movie came out, and I think right. Or, right before or right around the time that Battle for Naboo was released in 2000, um, LucasArts and Factor 5 announced a password right. that would unlock the Naboo, the N1 Starfighter in Rogue Squadron, which had come out back in 1998. So this was one of the best kept secrets in gaming ever. They, they hid this thing in there and they had to bury it really, really deep so that, you know, Game Shark hackers and people like that mm -hmm. couldn't dig it out because there were all these copyright non-disclosure agreement type deals where they didn't want to reveal um, the vehicle before the movie came out in summer of 1999, mm -hmm. even though the game Rogue Squadron came out six months earlier, Wait, so what, they buried this really which deep Which game down. is this, Johnny? This the is game that we just heard is Star Wars Battle for Naboo. Star okay. Wars Episode One Battle for Naboo. But the password was in Rogue Was in Rogue Squadron. Squadron. So this is the link that they have, is that they okay. both have the same vehicle, but the crazy thing was that, that Factor 5 put this vehicle in Rogue Squadron six months before the movie came out. And it, right. and it was such a closely guarded secret that, um, you know, nobody found out about it until they, okay. the company itself announced it, which is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, but anyway, yeah, this is Battle for Naboo, and um, it came out, you know, like I said, it came out in, uh, I think, early 2000, um, and uh, maybe, maybe summer of 2000. So, um, a ways after the movie, and it was kind of a, I think, a fairly unsuccessful uh, in terms of sales, just because, you know, the, the fever over the movie's release had died down by that point, um, and uh, it's not that much different from Rogue Squadron. I mean, other than the vehicles, it, it feels very much the same, um, and, uh, you know, by 2000, people weren't buying in 64 yeah. games anymore. That's the main thing. But well, Pod Podracer came out after this game, though, right? I think Podracer was more in sync with the movie. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not right at the same time, but pretty okay. close. Yeah. So maybe Christmas '99. I'd have All to go right. look it up. But uh, Battle for Naboo is is very much like Rogue Squadron. So I mean, it is a very good game. Um, in technologically speaking, it's actually better than Rogue Squadron. It has a lot better draw distance. Um, you know, Rogue Squadron was entirely. Uh, planetary, which is kind of unusual that they would make a Star Wars game where you never go into space. Mm -hmm. And um, they tried to fix that in Battle for Naboo. And it does have a few space battles, but the problem is they really control exactly the same way as the planetary battles. So it feels like they just kind of swapped out the background, you know? <laughs> um, and I think in the GameCube game, Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader, I think they they finally kind of improve that, and it, when you're in flying in space, it really actually feels like you're in space, you know. And by feel like you're in space, you mean like the placement of enemies and where they're coming from, or I mean, what? It, yeah, it uses the verticality a lot better. Um, 
and also just the way the, the controls aren't as locked forward, you know, like mm -hmm. you can fly pretty far up or down without really having to fight the controls, stuff like that. Okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, Battle for Naboo is a very ambitious game. It has excellent music. Um, I mean, I, you know, you probably, a lot of people probably wouldn't, would be surprised to find that this was an N64 game. I mean, it, the music is really, really good in all Factor 5 games. And, um, I think the interesting thing about it, uh, and hopefully this is reflected in the songs that I chose, is that the music in these Rogue Squadron games, including uh, Battle for Naboo, is really impressive in that most of the compositions are actually original. They're, they're made specifically for the video game, but they sound like they could easily fit into any of the movies. I mean, mm -hmm. they're so inspired by all the John Williams stuff that it's really difficult to tell what was in the movie and what wasn't. Uh, yeah. I think that's a testament to the composers at, at Factor 5. They were really, really good at what they did. Yep. Now, so, they, didn't, they didn't include them because of, I assume, uh, copyright type. No, no, no. There, there is some music from the movies, but not really enough to support a whole video game. And so they had to create their own to mm. fill in all the gaps. And okay. they, they wanted to make it such that it, it all was very seamless. You couldn't tell what was the real deal and what was the what was done just for the game. Mm. I think they did an amazing job. Now, at the time, they weren't allowed to use video from the movies. But they um, when Rogue Leader came out, they fixed that. So. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Well... So ends uh, this episode. How did I do? You did pretty well. I think you got uh, you got Professor Layton, oh. and you got Pikmin, yeah. and you got Legend of the Mystical Ninja. Right. And I was close on the Star Wars game. I, yeah, got yeah. You just got a little turned around. It was really easy to do when you haven't even played any of those games. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So. And my question probably didn't help. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I genuinely wasn't sure what the order was. on stuff so okay uh, yeah well uh, it was a good lineup thanks for picking them i think this was a real interesting round um, thank you and uh we even managed to get in one of the listener requests even though you had not intended that <laughs> accidentally so, uh, yeah bravo well done yeah. good sir well done um thank you very much so um of course you can listen to johnny besides this podcast you can listen to him on uh radio free nintendo i believe uh uh, you're finishing up. You, well, by the time this goes up, um, the second half of um, the Super Mario World discussion, which I was a part of yep. the previous week, will be up. So uh, check that out. Get John Lindemann's take on it, I assume. Yeah, we, we went off uh, off the rails yet again for another pretty long discussion on that game. So it was fertile ter territory for discussion. As it should be, because it's uh, one of the uh, most influential games out there. So Yeah. Uh, so, uh, check that out. Uh, hopefully, uh, I'll have another episode for you soon. So, uh, keep listening. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye.
Professor Layton and the Curious Village is copyright 2007 level 5. Quake 2 is copyright 1999 id Software Activation. Pikmin is copyright 2001 Nintendo. The Legend of the Mystical Ninja is copyright 1992 Konami. Star Wars Episode 1 Battle for Naboo is copyright 2000 Factor 5 LucasArts. But I'm also doing laundry. Oh my god, this is weird. Um, it's like I've stepped into a new dimension of podcasting capability. Well, as long as you don't have to leave to get your laundry out while we're doing this. No, no, no. I had that's what I did earlier was get the laundry out. I'm just folding it now. Da da da. Did it? Did it? We should clap right. though. Yeah. Let me, let me hang this shirt up. <laughs> Lord. Yeah. Multitasking. ドラマリオ。これ、あ、この3番中に座ってるやつ。こいつがマリオ60 <笑>